Hey guys, uh, as you can see around me, I am not in my usual location and uh, I'm actually in Texas visiting family and hopefully you can hear me okay. I'm using a new microphone, so uh, if you can't hear me, let me know. Um, I would love to know that everything is working good. If not, I'm going to have to do this teaching again. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <clears throat> we are, well, there are some big changes that are coming to the hub. And I wanted to get all of the teachings in this month, even though I'm out of town. Usually I don't. Uh, but there is a certain individual who would be very upset if I did not get all of this series recorded and it will be on our website as well. But uh, today I want to talk about allowing trials to shape God's goodness in your life. And I want to start out with a passage that can tend to be a mystery for a lot of us, actually a story, and it's the story of Joseph and his brothers selling him into slavery. And there's a lot of confusion on what God allows, what he orchestrates. Um, and because of that confusion, there's been a situation where we attribute to God things that had nothing to do with him. And often we think that what we're going through is from God. Therefore, we don't actively resist or apply wisdom to get ourselves out of that, which wisdom is the answer to tribulation and trials. And so I wanted to dive into allowing the trials of God to shape or allowing trials to shape the goodness of God in your life, because it's very important to understand how to navigate through trials. And what I find is interesting is it's like any teaching or series I do, uh, it's, it's like a perfect opportune teaching uh, for myself and hopefully for you as well. So this uh, is really going to encourage you. And uh, so I want to start with um, Genesis 50, 19 through, <clears throat> excuse me, 19 through 21. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them. And he spoke kindly to them. So the idea of God arranging negative things in our lives can seem like that's a legitimate doctrine based on the Old Testament and even the New Testament. And Jesus told us, he said, the one thing I can promise you is people are going to be offended. Offense is going to come. I can also promise you persecution because you follow me. So those are two things that are a guarantee. Wisdom is discerning what's going on when we're facing specific things. And I'm going to go in depth in that topic today so that will help you in the future. So the idea of God arranging negative things in our lives to teach us a lesson for good, for our good, uh, is really not accurate. Uh, and I'm going to give you a series of questions toward the end and fully explain the Joseph uh, situation and statement at the end. But I can tell you that he takes the pieces of our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he uses all of them. Like It's like he molds them and forms them into such goodness that it almost seems like he did it all in the first place, meaning he's so good at 
using those bad things, those ugly things for our good, that it almost seems like he arranged the bad things from the start. But he's just very good at building. He's very good at molding. And so the idea that God brings or even allows evil things in our lives because he's, he is sovereign must be dealt with using the sum of the word, not just parts. So I want to start with James because James, the thing with him, his name was actually Jacob. King James wanted um, him renamed to James so that a book could be named after him. But Jacob is a, um, Jesus' Jesus's brother, his physical brother, and he is old school all the way. He's old school Jewish. He's old school, um, you know, knowing the law and all that that entails. And I think he might also be a D personality because he's pretty straightforward and his book is short. So I'm thinking that he might be, um, you know, assertive and tells it like it is and straightforward and no nonsense and can smell BS a mile away. And so he writes in James 1, 12 through 15, I'm going to read it out of the New King James first, uh, and then we'll go into the Passion a little bit. And couldn't pack my Bibles with me, and it's on my phone um, because I'm flying tomorrow. So I'm just going to read it out of my notes, and we'll have the handout on the website. So in James 1, 12 through 15, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth dead. Now, it's clear by the language here that the the temptation that's being referenced here is the, is the temptation to sin. So what, you know, Paul or what James is saying is uh, God doesn't tempt anybody to sin. So that actually comes from you, um, your heart, which I'll get into. Uh, but again, if I see that someone came on, if you cannot hear me, please let me know in the messages because I'm using a new microphone. If you can't hear me, thumbs up. Okay. So the word here that refers that temptation actually has dual meanings. It's P-E-I-R-A-S-M-O-S. And it's from a noun, which means to make a uh, trial of, try, tempt. Trial temptation of putting to the test and spoken of persons only. Now here's the differentiation, okay? Thank you, Darina. The differentiation is when God is the agent of, and I'm going to try to pronounce it, Pyrasmus, sounds good. When he is the agent, it's the proving of someone. It's never for the purpose of making that person fall. Okay, so when God is behind this temptation, our text is James 1, 12 through 15. When he's the agent, it is for the purpose of proving a person, never causing him to fall. If it's the devil who tempts, then it is for the purpose to cause one to fall. Now, again, how do you know if it's from God and if it's not? Well, God is good all of the time. So if it's something that's evil, that's wicked, that's wanting to cause you to sin, that's not from God, okay? Again, two things you can count on, offense and persecution. Jesus said those are going to happen. But when it comes to temptation for you to sin, that is the devil's work. But James goes even further 
and actually brings it to our own heart, which I think sometimes as Christians, we forget our own heart's involvement in our emotional state because I think it's later on. No, it's in John, first John. He tells us that our heart condemns us. That's where condemnation begins is in our heart. You know, if you go back to Adam and Eve, and I think we discussed this last week, my question was, why were they standing by the tree? That was the one tree Jesus said, or God said, don't be by, don't eat it. Well, he actually didn't say don't be by. He said, don't eat from it. So if God says, hey, don't even go there, why are you standing next to the tree? Their heart had already led them to that sin before they ever committed it. And so that's what James says, that our own hearts will guide us to the place of condemnation, to the place of sin, if we're not watching over our heart. Because uh, in Proverbs, it says, out of our heart flows the issues of life. So if God is the agent, which temptation can mean trial, putting to the test, when he's the agent, it's to prove us. When the enemy is the agent, it is to tempt us to fall. Okay? Now, if you continue to read in this passage, it says that James makes it clear that temptation actually begins with desire, which always involves the emotions and the thoughts. So that desire is joined with the thoughts, which thoughts are the first action. So you join the two and it conceives in the soul uh, sin. So it has to be nourished. It has to be fed. So you can kind of think like your soul is the womb for the temptation. Your brain is connected by the umbilical cord. So your soul, the seat of your uh, mind, will, and emotions. And remember, your mind is actually separate from your brain. Because when the Lord talked to us about uh, Lazarus, who ate the crumbs of the rich man's table, both of them died. They both go into Hades, by the way. Uh, but back then, pre-Jesus, it was divided up by a chasm. So Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. The rich man is in the place of torment. And he's thinking, well, his brain's already dead. So his soul, his mind, will, and emotions is still operating, although his brain is now decomposing. So your soul is where you process the thoughts. Your brain is where they begin to build strongholds, right? So when you have this temptation to sin, the baby is fed by the thoughts. I remember one thing that Coach Greg, one of my colleagues, we have a coaching intensive that we do, and he said that anxiety and depression has to be fed. So any negative or positive emotion, it has to be fed, and it's fed by your thoughts. So your thoughts are the first action. So over time, that baby continues to grow by thoughts and desire until it produces an outward action. Now, if there's not an act of repentance, eventually the fruit of sin, if it reaches its full conclusion, is death. And it can be physical death, death to your um, employment, your relationships, uh, your spiritual life, etc., uh, in all areas of life, really. Uh, now, we can agree that temptation is the domain of the evil one. But if we go back to our example of Adam and Eve, both of them are already at the tree. All it took was a serpent showing up and tink, pushed them over the edge, right? So I want you to think of it that way. Uh, in Luke 4, when it talks about the temptation of Jesus, if you read the Amplified Version, it says that the, uh, when the cycle of temptation was over, the, the enemy stood back afar waiting for a more opportune time. 
So the Lord went through a cycle of temptation and that's how it really occurs. We go through cycles where maybe we're experiencing anxiety or experiencing some specific type of temptation to sin in a certain area or whatever it is, maybe depression or anger or offense or whatever those things are, they're cyclic. And then if the enemy loses and we're like, no, 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 then what happens is he stands back and he waits for a more opportune time. He, he may even instigate events in our lives to try to trip us up, just waiting for us to fall into a specific type of sin. So if you uh, maybe are prone to anger, he will set up circumstances. If you're prone to depression, he'll set up circumstances. If you've not yet overcome addiction in your life or maybe some type of sexual sin, he will set up circumstances. And you got to know that until that area of your soul is completely healed, you will be susceptible to people in your life that have that same area. Okay. So you got to be careful that you're you're not around those that share that same level of temptation when both or all of you are in a place of healing in the soul area of that. Okay, so it's really important to be aware of your friends. <clears throat> okay, now in Matthew 6.13 in the Passion Translation, it says, that, now this is the Lord's Prayer, rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from the devil, from, from evil, for you are the king who rules with power and glory forever. Amen. I wonder what that word power is. I wonder if the word power is exousia or if it is dunamis. Hmm. Someone can look that up and let me know in the chat. Because the reason I think that's important is the word temptation here is the same as James. Uh, or, or tribulation is the same as the word temptation in James. Rescue us every time we face tribulation, implying that the goal is to be delivered from tribulation, by the way. But you are the king who rules with power. If it's exousia, that's authority. That's legal jurisdiction. And so Jesus is implying the power of using the legal jurisdiction we have in him to face uh, tribulation. But if it's dunamis, then that's the dynamite power of God. That's where, bam, he can come in and blow up all of the tribulation and the temptation that the enemy is trying to attack us with. But what my main point is, sorry, that's a rabbit trail. My main point is that the goal, if you read it, rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil is to be delivered from temptation and tribulation. The Lord doesn't want us to remain in those places. It's not his will for us to remain in those places in spite of what people will teach you from the pulpit. He always wants to set us free. Now, we do know that sometimes um, when it comes to tribulation that is, you know, persecution type, uh, that some people are called to be martyred, some aren't. And But the main thing is we're supposed to be delivered from those things. So, um, allowing the testing of your faith to produce patience or the ability to endure difficult circumstances is when the agent is from God. The scripture is Matthew 6.13. This is a not necessary process of life that keeps us fit and strong instead of fat and weak. Okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> we have to go through difficulty at times to kind of lean up. You know, there's an economic principle that um, recessions are actually a leaning up of the economy. Now, when you put us in a purposeful recession because of bad choices, you know, it's not fun. 
don't want to be there, but it's a necessary process to lean up the economy because if it keeps going, 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 guess what? Inflation. And there, now you know why. Inflation is the obesity, the response of the economy to the obesity of the economy. Inflation is too much money there and it's causing the economy to burn up in itself. So sometimes you have to lean up. Now in James 1, 2 through 8 in the New King James, I want to read this first in the, um, that one and then I want to go into the Passion. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So there's that patience thing. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking uh, nothing. Key verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts like a wave of, is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's dub, a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now, listen to the Passion. It says, My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. That's interesting. The implication is the greatest joy that you will ever experience will be the result of difficult times. Not saying that we have to, you know, just sit back and, okay, I'm here for my joy. You know, I'm just going to take this and I'm going to endure in it for however long it is to get my joy. No, you use wisdom to get out of it. However, the closeness, the intimacy that you feel with God when he has your back and you know that he's there during those difficult times produces the greatest amount of joy because joy is sourced in the presence of God. And so a lot of times when we're going through difficulties, uh, we feel more joy than when we're outside of it. But the wisdom, wisdom is to learn how to have joy both in and outside of tribulation. Okay. All right. So at times of, oh, let me get back here. Okay, so when it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it releases perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. Okay, so endurance. Endurance that releases perfection into every part of your being until nothing nothing is missing or lacking is the result of going through trials well. Okay? That's amazing. So every tribulation, even those orchestrated by the devil to tempt us, can be used as an opportunity for increased joy and increased endurance. So life is a marathon. Now, there might be times where you have sprints and you need that sudden burst of power, but life itself is a marathon. And in order to finish well, we have to run that marathon steadily and allow every time where it feels like we want to quit or there's difficulties going on in our lives, recognize, wait a minute, this is an opportunity to allow 
uh, patience to have its perfect work, where the endurance that I exhibit will go into all the areas of my life. Like I was thinking yesterday, me and my sister went and ran some errands and, uh, I was, you know, walking around the store and she's like, do you want anything? And I don't even remember what store it was. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. But anyway, in the past, I would be like, oh yeah, I want to get this or I want to get that. And I'm like, no, thank you. And then, uh, I had some points. So I ordered some, did you know they have coasters for your car cups so they don't get all sweaty and dirty in there? I had no idea. Anyway, I'm like, I would like some car coasters, but I knew I had points coming. So I just held off and waited. And I decided, do I really want car coasters? And I went back and forth and I'm like, yes, I do want car coasters. And so I have a black cat, two car coasters coming, <laughs> of course, because Joseph is, you know, a black cat and I love him. But anyway, so, but the point of that is in the past, I would have been impatient. I would have just immediately ordered or I would have immediately bought stuff because I was a, a collector of things because I had a family member that would give me gifts and that's how I felt loved. And so just due to trauma and different things as a child that we all go through, none of us don't go through anything, getting stuff made me feel better. And then when God taught me in like 2016, 2017, hey, you're accepted. You don't have to buy all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, so now I'm very careful in my purchases. That came through a lot of patience, a lot of learning, a lot of emotional intelligence work. And so when you allow whatever it is you're going through to have the work of patience deep inside of you, patience is a key to perfection. And by perfection, I don't mean you never make mistakes. By perfection, I mean completeness, wholeness. It's hard to describe, but if you've ever felt it, you know what I'm talking about, where your inside is whole, that it's, it feels good. You don't, experience a lot of turmoil in there because you just know that you're in a good place, right? So it's like an integrity of your soul. And you of course, wait for the next time. God's like, Hey, let's deal with this issue. But that's what I mean is there's nothing driving you. You're settled. And so that's what patience does. But notice the other part. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask for wisdom. Why? Because wisdom is the key to get you out of temptation or out of tribulation. See, that's important. Okay. Because you're not supposed to have one difficulty after another difficulty, after another difficulty, after another difficulty, after another difficulty. That's not how God wants us to live. When we're in difficulties, we need to rely on the fruit of the spirit while at the same time asking God for wisdom. You know what shocked me? I've been reading the book of Proverbs for years. I always just start all, you know, over every time I finish it, I go right back to chapter one because I need a lot of wisdom. And that was one of my weak areas. Here's what I learned. Do you know that you don't have financial trouble when you save money? Do you know that God wants you to be blessed, but the key is to be thankful and operate in wisdom? Do you know that wisdom is the key to long life? and blessing. How? Because you make good decisions. In Proverbs, it tells us the way to stay out of tribulation completely or to get out of it if you find yourself in it is wisdom. And I would say wisdom and discernment are two of the most lacking things in the body of Christ. And so whenever, here's another one, wisdom is when you listen and do what God says, you execute it. So when Biden um, stole the election, 
one of the things that I knew immediately is me and Mike need to sell our old house, get his shop paid down quite a bit, get him a Harley and a couple other things that we needed to do. And I had prayed though for specific things because I couldn't discern at the time, was it fear of recession because we lived through the Obama recession and that was just catastrophic to our finances. So I couldn't really discern, okay, is this God or is this just me? Like, uh uh-oh, here we go again. So I asked God for specific things. I said, Lord, because we had a tenant in our old house. I said, if we're supposed to sell our house before October when um, she was planning on buying her own house, please, please do that. Let me know. Bam. She's like, Hey, I know it's a short notice. And I know that I said, I'd be there till October, but I bought a house and it's going to close like in April or May. And I'm all, okay. All right. You know, let's, something's going on here. We better, I better pay attention, you know? And so through, you know, visiting with Mike and stuff, cause he has lots of wisdom. We decided to go ahead and put it up for sale. It sold, I think it was either two days or two weeks. It was under contract. I can't remember, but it was like quick. Uh, in fact, it was funny. Me and my friend, I was visiting her in Colorado and she had her old house that her kids grew up in. And I wanted to go see it one last time because we used to visit. And she's like, can we have a prayer of agreement? This sells. I mean, it's been under contract a couple times and it should have sold by now. It's a hot market, blah, blah. I'm like, absolutely. But let's pray over our house too. So we laid hands We had a prayer of agreement they would sell. I literally turned to walk toward the door, three steps, and bam, got a phone call. Bam, it was under contract in no time at all. It might have been two or three days. But anyway, um, so all that to say that because we followed the steps of wisdom, our building payment is super low. Uh, Mike has a Harley to save on gas. We didn't know gas was going to be, you know, five bucks a gallon. I mean, everything that we needed to do, God directed us and now we're in good shape or better shape. So that's the same thing that I'm saying here, no matter what tribulation or trial you're going through, God already has a plan and that plan will get you out of it if you will follow his directions. Okay, now, do not mistake things, and we're gonna get to the goodness, don't worry about it. Don't mistake things Jesus bought and paid for you not to have in your life as testing from God. What do I mean by that? Jesus paid for you to be free from sickness, pain, poverty, etc. These things were introduced into the world through sin. Okay? He didn't pay for you to go through extreme poverty. He didn't pay for you to die from a sickness. He paid to set you free. Not only that, to prevent you from even having to experience the reality of those things. Now, there's times you go through leanness. There's times you have to fight for your your health. But what I'm saying is he doesn't want you to think those things are from him because they're not. If you look at Isaiah 53, 3 through 5, it says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Excuse me. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. So this is Isaiah in the present tense, describing the work, the atonement work of Jesus. Griefs is literally sicknesses. Sorrow is literally pain, physical sickness, physical pain. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief or a man of um, physical sickness. Now, wait a minute. He didn't ever get sick. No, but he took that on himself on the cross. 
uh, man acquainted with pain. So he uh, bore our sicknesses and he carried our pain, but we didn't recognize him, right? And uh, so by his stripes, we are healed. However, the enemy will test the word. Do you truly believe it? So in Matthew 13, 20 through 21, it says, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. All right, here we go. Tribulation or persecution arises because of the word. So tribulation is pressure from evils, affliction, and distress. It is, uh, from the practice, what they would do to punish some criminals back in the day is they would place boulders on top of their chest and slowly smother them to death. If you've ever had someone put a pillow over your face, you come out fighting, right? I mean, I hate that. I will start punching and kicking. Just imagine that, that you're slowly being suffocated and so that's what he's saying, where you're in a time in your life where you feel like you're suffocating. You feel like you're overwhelmed. You feel like you don't know where to turn or what to do. That's what he's talking about. It's those that were slowly crushed and suffocated beneath boulders. It's also trouble. Joseph, that's what he experienced. David also experienced this when Saul was trying to kill him, and he lost everything. He lost his standing as the king's son-in-law. He lost his wife. Because the king gave her to somebody else. He lost his wealth. He lost his home. He had to live in caves. He had to act crazy when he was with the Philistines. So they eat. So, and here's what's interesting. Both of them received prophetic words. Joseph, you will rule even over your brothers and your parents. David, you're going to be king. And what happened? All hell broke loose. Why? Because the word was being tested. So if you feel like you're being suffocated, or if you feel like the word you received are actually the opposite is happening, guess what? The enemy's testing the word. So you can be like, aha, I know what you're up to, and this ain't going to work because I got my word, and I'm going to use my word, and I'm going to fight with my word, and that's all there is to it. It's good news because after the testing comes a promotion. And so that's, I mean, that's just great. Like once you know these keys and why you're going through what you're going through, it is like, it's, it's changing. It's life changing for you, but you got to understand the source. So God does not make you sick. God does not put you in poverty. God doesn't do any of the things that Jesus paid for you to be delivered from. However, once you get that revelation, then the enemy will come and test the word and it'll be like, Oh really? Do you really believe that? And he'll just send one thing after another to try to suffocate you and get you to quit. And notice here, that those who have no root in himself, they endure for a little bit. What is the root? The word, the truth. But also, I believe knowing God is good all of the time. Because notice, the enemy, the enemy is what causes us to um, stumble. Because it's the enemy that is suffocating us to death. So the word must take root. In the Amplified, it says, Yet it has no real root in him, but is temporary, inconstant, lasts but a little while. And when affliction or trouble or persecution comes on account of the word, at once he is caused to stumble, he is repelled and begins to distrust 
and desert him whom he ought to trust and obey and he falls away. Why? Because people believe that God does bad things. People believe that God sends things in their lives that he doesn't sin, sin, and they don't believe that he's good all of the time. And so because they think that they get offended and they begin to distrust him and they desert him because they think he's the one doing these things and he's not. One of the things, one of the keys to successful life is to believe that God is good all of the time, no matter what, doesn't matter. He's good all of the time. So the word fall away or stumbles is scandalizo, and it means to be offended. It comes from the word scandalon, which is a trap or a stumbling block for the intent to cause one to stumble and fall. This individual views God as the source and gets offended, not recognizing that the enemy is the one that set up a strategy against him or her to cause them to stumble. You have to know God is good all of the time or you will stumble, and you have to know that he is faithful. Now, this happened to me whenever um, I uh, got sick. When God gave me the revelation about divine health, bam, I was body slammed. I was sick for a year and a half, really, really sick for months. I don't know how long I was in bed. And, uh, it, but I knew, I knew divine health was my inheritance. Um, but man, I felt suffocated. I was depressed. I was sad. It was, it was tough. However, um, you know, our learning is in levels. I got several prophetic words. I began to learn what the word said about things. I began to crawl myself out. Um, and I learned things that are so significant and life-changing that I use them to this day to help other people. And that's one of the things that's neat about trials is you can then take those things out and help other people. Now, all of the word is significant, but rhema words, those are the God breathed. So it can be like you're reading the word and all of a sudden, ding, something goes off when you read a certain scripture, or maybe you get a certain revelation, or maybe he gives you a prophetic word like David and Joseph. Those things are for seasons. And it's those rhema words that the enemy will do everything he can to stop you because he knows, according to Peter, that once you uh, have that promise in your life, you're now sharing in God, uh, God's nature because it says in Second Peter 1, 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers or sharers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Every promise God gives you fulfilled in your life is evidence that you now share in his nature in that area. So wisdom is the key to get out of tribulations, but also prayer. So if we go back to Matthew six thirteen, we are to ask God to deliver us from the evil one. Okay. So a lot of times people get uh, passive when they're going through difficulties because they think it's God's will, right? But the Bible says, Jesus said, ask God to deliver you. Ask God to keep you from the evil one. So could it be that sometimes we get into trouble because we're not praying that? I don't know. It's kind of an interesting thought. So we're to ask God to deliver us. The word uh, from, from the evil one is the Greek word apo. And it implies, quote, a rupture from a former association. Okay. So we used to be the devil's spawn. Just kidding. But we definitely had his fallen nature, right? Because he is the father of those that are fallen. And uh, once we got born again, we got Jesus's nature. Now, father is our God uh, and God is our father. But it's a rupture from a former association or separated from. So it's kind of like if you were married once to someone and the 
the relationship ruptures and now you're separated or you're divorced, that's what that word means. Or maybe once you hung around with people that partied and did, dr did drugs, but you get born again and now that relationship is ruptured and you are no longer associated with them. So it's the same idea. So we used to be associated with the evil one, but now we're not. Uh, also, it's a complete separation showing us that we are to ask God to snatch us from danger of being joined to the evil one in any way. In other words, if this is his domain, we're like way over there. You know what I'm saying? We're not even coming near his domain. So that's what we're supposed to ask for. Well, back to our James text. If God is an agent, trials are for the purpose of proving someone, never for the purpose of causing him to fall. So some things that we go through are necessary for our future calling. Other things happen to us that God uses to prepare us for our future calling. And some things the enemy orchestrates to get us offended. But if we're smart and we ask God for wisdom and we rely on the fruit of the spirit, then God will prepare us for our future calling. So the end game is whether it's God, whether it's uh, people and persecution or whether it's the enemy, no matter what testing, what tribulation, what temptation we're going through, God will use all of it for our good, our future calling and our present purpose if we use wisdom and we're people of prayer. Now, here's the test to know if what you're going through is the enemy, is persecution, or it's God's discipline, which is basically instruction, which I did four levels uh, of discipline um, back in our Hebrew study. I think it's a God is faithful all the time or something about faithfulness. If you want to listen to it, it's really good. Okay. Beloved brethren, do not be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Do not be deceived. This tells me that even back then, there was an idea that God does evil things to people because in the Old Testament, everything was attributed to God. Okay, it was an incomplete understanding. Sometimes, actually, if you go into the original Hebrew, you see that they knew that their own choices took them outside the divine protection of God. He would try to warn them to quit and to come back. They wouldn't listen. And then all of a sudden they'd find themselves in uh, difficulty and tribulation. So God would always faithfully warn them to try to get them to stop what they were doing. But you got to really dig into the original language or you think that God put sickness on people and God did this and God did that. However, you kept messing around and all of a sudden you're Nation is destroyed, right? So the divine protection is lifted if we persist in rebellion. And that was a Hebrew thought. But here James is making it plain. Every good and perfect gift is from a father above who doesn't even have a shadow because he's so full of light. There's absolutely no darkness in him whatsoever. There's no evil in him. It's impossible for him to do evil things. This is crucial because it provides the content for the things that happen in our lives. In other words, is this from God or not? So here's what you need to ask. Is it evil? If what's happening to you is evil, it's not from God. Is it a temptation to sin? Then it's not from God. Is it happening because of my own decisions? If so, it is not from God. Is there evil in it? 
but there's an opportunity to grow in patience. Yes, if that's the case, then it means that God will work all things for your good and you can use this present uh, uh, difficulty as an opportunity to grow in patience. Let me give you an example. I feel I need to clarify. Paul. Okay, Paul was a rabbi. He was on the Sanhedrin. He becomes, you know, he's a persecutor of Christians. He gets born again. And everywhere he went, there was a certain sect of Jews that followed him to stir up trouble. And so he'd in, he was stoned to death, either in Lystra or Derby. I can't remember. I mean, he was you know, beaten. He was thrown in jail. Finally, he shifted strategy in uh, Acts 18, 19. And that didn't happen uh, until he was ready to die for the Lord. But the persecution, right? We can say that's evil for sure. And we know for a fact that it was evil because in I think it's First Corinthians, but it might be Second Corinthians, where uh, Paul talked about, you know, please deliver me from this thorn in the flesh. And the Lord's like, oh no, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. When you feel weak, I am strong. Okay, we could be like, oh, okay. So that persecution was from God. No, it wasn't. It was from evil men being used of the enemy. Okay, that wasn't from God. Well, he allowed Paul to stay in it. Right. But he was allowing it to have its perfect work. However, Paul asked for wisdom because in Acts, you see that God gave him a different strategy. He gave him a marketplace apostolic ministry. He joined forces with um, Ananias. No, 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 no. Who was it? Oh, good grief. Well, poo. He went to business partnership with them, and I've completely forgotten their names. If anyone remembers their names, it's in Acts 18 or 19. It's like, tink, gone. But anyway, he goes into business, and he was wondering about it. You know, he's like, is this what I need to do? I mean, I'm a full-time minister. Nope. He goes into business, and after that, when the Jews try to bring charges against him, not only did they not work, not only did uh, Paul not have to defend himself, but the people that brought the charges, their own people beat them up with the uh, judge watching. And Paul's like, hey, this is pretty darn cool. That was wisdom. Before when he was a full-time minister, guess what? He got persecuted every turn. But once he engaged in the marketplace, he became relevant to his community. He made friends. And guess what? He didn't get persecuted like he did before. So, it's evil that was given to him. I'm just a little bit excited. You know, those that, you know, know, probably know why I'm excited because he had a shift strategy and then things fell into place, right? So that's what's happening here is God did not send these persecutors, but at the time, Paul's understanding wasn't yet ready for that shift. So everything that Paul did, Aquila and Priscilla, I, man, I kept wanting to say the other names. There it is. Thank you, Dorina. So he had to shift gears. That was the wisdom, but he wasn't ready. He didn't have a mental capacity for going into business and ministering from that domain because he was a rabbi. Their whole life was ministry. But once he implemented that wisdom from prayer, God shifted it. And all of a sudden he wasn't in the persecution that he was in before. So that's why James says, ask for wisdom when you're in persecution and tribulation. I mean, it's so good. All right, because we're all growing. We all have a certain level of understanding. And so until we get to a place where God's like, okay, do this, and he knows we'll do it, he just uses what we give him to the best 
of his ability as far as being a good God. And that is exceedingly um, huge ability. But I guess what I'm saying is when you're at a certain level of understanding, God may not be able to tell you how to get you out because you don't have any grid for what he's going to tell you. But over time, as you grow in your revelation of the word and you grow in your revelation of God, all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I'm going to go into business and I'm going to minister in my spare time, but I'm going to be a business person. And that's what Paul did. And that was the wisdom that got him away from the thorn in his flesh, which was the persecution of those Jews. It's interesting. All right. Now, the word good, where it says good gift, every good gift comes from a good God. Uh, is agathos, which we talked about last week. It means good, benevolent, profitable, useful, excellent, best of, good character, disposition, quality, upright, and virtuous. Those are your filters for what is happening to you. If what is happening to you is not good, it is not from God, and that's all there is to it. However, God can use it for your good. Does he allow it? Probably not. Okay, we got to be really careful with that. God is allowing this stuff because, again, it puts us in a passive frame of mind. Also, we might think or there's an implication that God wanted it to happen to us to teach us a lesson or whatever it is. God teaches you by his word. Again, if you persist in not doing what his word says, you might find his benevolence and his protection around you lifted for a time. But that doesn't mean that he sends you evil things because God is a good God and that's impossible for him to do. So let's finish up back with Joseph. So if we go back to Joseph, it says, and I love this. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So what's happening? He's like, I'm not God. I'm not going to judge you. But what I do see is God wove the evil that you meant toward me into my story. And with his redemptive touch, what he did not do has now become his ownership. In other words, he has taken all that bad and he's used it for my good and for your good and to save a nation. I love it. Does God own your past? You got you to gotta answer that question because if God owns your past, there is nothing in your past that can harm you. And so all the things that you went through are now redeemed and they can be used in your story to help other people and even save nations. Isn't that neat? Even though he didn't do it, we can now use it for his kingdom and for our good and others. Such a good God. Now, here we see a clear delineation, uh, delineation. His brothers meant the things they did to him for evil, but God used them for good. Uh, the word meant means to think, to devise, to reckon, to regard, to invent, uh, to consider, to be accounted, and to plan. So here's the idea. So I want you to picture this, right? So God's in heaven. Obviously, he did not tell his brothers to do all these mean things to Joseph, but he's surveying the situation. He's looking at everything they're doing, and he's like, okay, I can use this. Um, so he came up with a plan. Let's look more into the idea of this. Um, in Proverbs 16, 9, in the Passion, 
Within your heart, you can make plans for your future, but the Lord chooses the steps you take to get there. Also, in Proverbs 20, 24, it says, It is the Lord who directs your life. For each step you take is ordained or ordered by God to bring you closer to your destiny. So much of your life then remains a mystery. Okay, so Joseph had received two words that he would rule over his brothers and over his own uh, father and mother. Now, these steps right here does not mean that God ordered Joseph's brothers to do what they did to him. But what it does mean is that God guided him through the tribulation to his destiny. And on the way, Joseph picked up the things he needed to learn and use for him to be fit for his destiny. Okay. So in John 16, 13, it says, however, he, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Now the word guide is important. It means to guide someone in acquiring information. So step one, when you're in a trial, acquire information. What is God wanting to give you as far as data and information? Number two, to guide someone in learning. What is he wanting to teach you through what you're going through? Even if it didn't come from him, what is he showing you? What is he instructing you in? Now, when I was sick with mono, God also showed me an amazing uh, definition of the word guide. It refers to a guide leading you through dangerous territory and showing you where all of the mines are and where to step so you don't get killed. Okay, so guys, this is so cool. So if you go back, within your heart, you can make plans for your future, but the Lord chooses the steps you take to get you there, okay? It's the Lord who directs your life. For each step you take is ordered by the Lord to bring you closer to your destiny. That requires hearing him, right? So if we go back here, the guide will lead you through dangerous territory, showing you where all the mines are and where to step so you don't get killed. So what he's saying is you got this thing called life, right? And you're walking through life. And God's guiding your steps. You're listening to him. And all of a sudden people do this or someone says that or this happens to you or the enemy tries to do this. And God literally tells you what steps to take to help you navigate through that situation. Or he tells you what steps to take so you don't even enter into that situation. I love that. I get so excited over that stuff. And that definition was from Rick Renner. So the Holy Spirit tells us exactly where the minds are, where to step, and even more so when we're in a difficulty. So even though his brothers wanted to get rid of Joseph out of jealousy and it appeared that they had the power to do so, Joseph cooperated with Holy Spirit and that empowered him to live, to navigate through, and to live the reason he was born. Now here's the key. If Joseph had become offended and stopped, his brothers would have won and a nation wouldn't have been saved. Actually, the brothers were the tool of the enemy and the enemy would have won the battle over Joseph's de destiny. No demon in hell and no man on earth can stop you from your purpose unless you get offended and then your purpose stops. Okay. I mean, that's why you got people who have been born again for 30, 40, 50 years, and they're in the same place they were. There may be some small movement, but typically 
they're the same place because they got offended and they stopped. You don't want to get offended because that stops your process and your progress. So we see time and time again, Joseph submitting to God in his wisdom, producing such excellence that he was delivered from each trial until he finally was second in command in Egypt. So by the time his brothers realized what had happened, the work of patience had completed its work in Joseph. He recognized that God used everything to save many people. And I don't know if Joseph knew or not, but he always uh, was playing a part in the prophecy given to Abraham. Okay, so in Genesis 15, 13 through 14, get this, this is the New Living Translation. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. That was because of Joseph. So there's no reason to be offended with people that are oppressing you or, um, be offended with God when you're going through difficulties because these things are the very things that you can use to your advantage in order to prepare yourself for your destiny. In fact, you should probably thank them. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have difficult conversation or you shouldn't confront bad behavior or, you know, process through. If you value the relationship, communication is important. Don't be a coward in that. If, if, if you get mad at someone, you need to have brave communication. There's a reason it's called brave communication because there is a possibility of no reconciliation. There is a possibility of not being heard. There is a possibility of being rejected. There is a possibility for all of those things. But the purpose of brave communication and sharing how you feel is that you value that relationship. You value that so much that you're willing to risk all of those things in order to be reconciled. But it really just depends on the other person, whether they're willing to be brave or whether they're willing to share how they feel. If not, you move on. There's nothing you can do. If people don't have the guts and if they're going to be cowards and they're not going to talk to you, there's really not much you can do. You can continue to love them, pray for the best for them, but don't get offended because even they are being used, even if they don't realize it, to get you to where you need to be. It's kind of like you're just going along live. Doo, 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 and all of a sudden you hit a spot and you're like, wait a minute. I don't feel like I'm in God's will. Don't worry. He'll have people there to get you in God's will. <laughs> Something will happen and tink, they'll push you right back into alignment. And before you know it, you're living the life that you were born to live. I mean, you really just cannot lose with God, guys. It's impossible. Now, back to the word meant. You meant it for evil, but... God meant for good. Uh, devise means to contrive a plan. It's from a Middle English word that means to inspect, design, and compose. This shows us that while the plans of his brothers was to get rid of him, God inspected the plan and situation. He designed a counter plan and he composed a life of destiny for Joseph. Guys, I can't tell you how excited I am about this and how much I feel. And those of you that are watching will know why. I gotta read this again. This shows us that while the plans of his brothers was to get rid of him, God inspected the plan and the situation. He designed a counter plan and composed a life of destiny for Joseph. That is good news. No demon in hell, no person on earth can stop you if you do not become offended. Your difficulties, whether they're from others or your own decisions can be used by God for your good which is well-pleasing, fruitful, morally correct, useful, proper, kind, and profitable. Now, let me give you the last key. 
So in Romans 8, 28, it says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, this is an often quoted passage, okay? Let me read it from the Passion. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. Designed. Okay. So this more clearly shows what I'm saying. People might throw things at you that make your life difficult, but God will use those things as well as tell you exactly where to step so that what what was meant for evil is actually used for your good. The word good is the same word that means benevolent, profitable, useful, excellent, best, etc. This is a promise to those who love him. How do you know you love him? Because you do what he says. But that's not the key I want to focus on. Let's look at the two previous verses that set the context for verse 28. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Ah, interesting, interesting. So the key keys to trials be, um, being used to infuse goodness into your life is living a life of Holy Spirit-infused prayer. Prayerlessness is a lack of wisdom. Prayerlessness will get us in trouble. We'll find ourselves in difficulties we should have never been in. Because if we had prayed or been, and actually I don't like to use a word if we had prayed. I like to say if we're people of prayer. We will be alerted to decisions we need to make. We will have discernment regarding certain people. We will know betrayal before betrayal happens. God will warn us. God will tell us what's going on with the people in our lives. He'll tell us what we need to do with our finances, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He'll tell us what to do with our bodies. So prayer, intercession, okay? We do not know what we should pray. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us, and he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Infused prayer equals infused goodness in our life. Joseph, David, they were men of prayer. And it wasn't relegated to request, but the purpose of prayer is presence. These men sought his presence. That's the only way they could have gone through the trials they went through and not have been destroyed. God was with them because they were with him. Ooh, I like that. Hey, Darina, we need a t-shirt or a quote. God was with them because they were with him. Prayerlessness is asking for trouble, but prayer not only gets you out of trouble, but also sustains you during difficulty or keeps you from it altogether. So back to Matthew 6, 13. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay. Rescue us, snatch us, deliver us from the evil one. In other words, keep us from even getting close to him. It's an absolute rupture of the relationship, a separation from him that is maintained by prayer. How do you stay away from the evil one? By prayer. So good. Prayer opens the door for God to guide your steps without stepping on any minds. Prayer is how you ask for wisdom to get out of difficulties. Prayer is what enforces the victory of the cross so you don't go through unnecessary and illegal trials. Prayer is what cultivates experiencing God so that you're a person of presence in relationship and knowledge of Him to sustain you 
and make you immune to offense, immune to offense. Because remember, if we go back up, there was no real root in him. He is repelled and begins to distrust and desert him whom he ought to trust and obey, and he falls away. And remember, fall away is scandalizo and means to become offended. Prayer protects you from offense because the purpose of prayer is presence. Prayer is what cultivates experiencing God so that you're a person of presence and relationship and knowledge of him to sustain you and make you immune to offense. Joseph possessed all of the qualities we've discussed, producing a man that knew God, that God was with, and get, that gave him the wisdom he needed to use difficulties for his good, for others' good, and to prepare him to be second in command in Egypt. So here's the thing. God is good all of the time. He never sends you evil, but he will use evil for your benefit if you're a person of prayer and a person of wisdom. Okay? Isn't that good? So excited. I don't know about what. Just the whole teaching makes me excited. So um, normally we would take up our tithes and offerings at this time. And whether you give to other ministries or if you give to us or got to hold it until next week, that's fine. But I do want to pray over that and I want to pray over this message. So Father, I thank you so much that you are good. There is no evil. There is no shadow in you. There is no darkness in you at all. But you excuse me, instead have given us keys. And one of those is to know you're good all the, all the time. Another is to ask for wisdom when we're in trials. Another is to be people of prayer because that equals presence. And number four, we can, um, well, I just forgot number four. Oh, we can follow your instructions and be delivered out of any trial we're in. So, Father, I ask that you continue to work on those areas in our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions that might be subject to, to temptation. Continue to enforce those in your word and the goodness of God in identity. And I also ask that you help us to recognize illegal and unjust tribulation, persecution that we don't even need to be in. I also ask that you help us to allow patience to have its perfect work but also for us to experience joy that we will not experience unless we go through difficulties. In other words, we use difficulty as an opportunity to expand our capacity for joy. I ask that we be people of presence because when we're with you, you're with us. And I ask that you help us to recognize any temptation as a key, not to, oh, I'm a horrible person because I'm being tempted, but no, wait a minute, that temptation is revealing an area of my heart that needs to be strengthened in the word. Therefore, I commit myself to that. So, Father, I thank you for the goodness, and I ask that you help us to allow trials to shape the goodness of God in our lives, to allow the trials that we go through to make our lives so good that we will be in awe of your goodness. And, Father, I also pray for those today that have given their tithes and offerings, and I ask Jesus that you receive them where you are seated it's our pledge of allegiance to you. We love you so much. We don't give out of obligation or pressure or anything like that. We give because we love you. We thank you so much for the ability to gain wealth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so for those of you that go to the Hub, I'll see you soon. We will have our Friday. We will have our Sunday. And there are only two more left after that as far as Sunday. And I look forward to the rest of the teachings. They're good, guys. They're so good. And we'll get the handouts and all that. Um, on the website. And Darina, you'll probably have questions. Don't hesitate to text me and I will tell you how to get this teaching on um, 
的。好的 ，All right, love you guys. Bye bye.